All right. Well, hello and welcome. I'm your host, Kayla Stanley, and I'm very excited as we have our first guest on. So I'd like to introduce Gabe Mazzano. Gabe is fascinated by digital influence and super intelligence. She served in the Australian Army for seven years, played professional football in the W League, has recently been working in technology the past four years and works on her side hustle called Dark Mode. I actually took something from her LinkedIn biography, which Gabe states, I believe in a set of dynamic intellectual ability essential to accomplish complex human goals, including do your best, then do better, then when you've done better, do better. As well as Gabe's current guide in life is continue to learn at a rapid pace to help solve the world's biggest challenges. And Gabe being my partner in crime, best friend and wonderful fiancé, I can testify she definitely lives and breathes these values. It can definitely be hard to keep up with you sometimes. So Gabe, welcome. Too good. Thanks, Kayla, for having me. Stoked to be in a podcast studio too. It's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to getting into a good conversation. So Gabe, I'd love to kick off by having you reflect on where you were 10 years ago and how did these moments in time shape you to be the person you are today? Yeah, this is really topical, Kay, because only last week I was at a lunch for work and I ran into a really old friend of mine who I went through army training with and I was like, Sam, what's going on? And he reminded me that we've got, well, he actually told me we have a 10-year reunion coming up because I've been off the socials predominantly this year and particularly off Facebook. And so I hadn't seen the no- notification for the reunion and I was like, wow, has that really been a decade since I was going through my initial army training. So I was at the Royal Military College being inducted into the military as a bright-eyed, bushy-eyed, or bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, (laughs) 18-year-old when I joined. But 10 years ago, I was 20, and I had just finished my army training and embarking on that whirlwind of a career through army, which subsequently led me into a host of things, which has brought me to where I am today. So it's amazing how quickly 10 years can go. Yeah, so... You, from my understanding, you joined the army at 18, right? So you had pretty much just finished your two years at Duntroon. Yeah. And so I guess what did the landscape look like for that remainder of you being in the army? What lessons did you learn um, leading yourself and why did you get out of the army? Yeah, so ended up serving seven years full-time army, which entailed a host of things. When I joined at 18, I was looking for a little bit of leverage as I reflect back retrospectively retrospectively on what that was, to really just find a career for myself and do something meaningful, which I think we're all still figuring out as we go mm-hmm. in every aspect of life. And so, yeah, the I graduated into the engineering core, which is a capability you provide to the military where you are either applying a mobility or a counter-mobility effect on the battle space. Mm-hmm. And it fundamentally means you either construct and build things or you blow them up. So it was very fun. <laughs> it was very hands-on. And I became a diver, which meant I could do those things underwater. So it was very cool, very very practical, suited me at the time. And then I just, as I progressed through the army, you sort of, and especially as an officer, you get a bit more administrative. You're, of course, leading troops and you're very much involved in that. But I was just seeking something a little more. And particularly as it relates to being in a faster-paced environment, the army is very bureaucratic it's very authoritative in terms of leadership. You know, there's a lot of red tape, as they say, to run through. And you don't really escape that in the corporate world, though. But it's I just wanted a faster pace environment. So 
you know, I thought technology is definitely the future. It's here now. It's shaping everything we're doing. And so I thought what better way than to dive headfirst into that, mm-hmm. into a very big multinational technology company. I got out of the army. Um, and in the interim there, I was also playing professional soccer, as you alluded to, which was a childhood dream of mine. I sort of came to a crossroads in between those two transition periods I spoke about in between army and tech. So, yeah, I think for me, my, you know, my personality style is I'm always building new self-awareness tools. I do a lot of psychometric tests. I'm always reflecting on the person I intend to become and who I am as a person, but I'm very high energy. I typically don't you know, like to stick to task for that long. <laughs> so I want to always be on the move and be on that next frontier. So it sort of took me on a journey over the last 10 years to be quite multifaceted in who I am as a person and what my careers have entailed. And people are always so blown away when they realize I'm 30 years old and they're just like, you've literally had three careers. <laughs> yeah. Like, how did you pack all of that into such a short working lifespan? Yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, it's just who I am. So yeah. let's see what the next 30 entail. <laughs> totally. And and we'll definitely get to the technology part, but I just wanted to go back to when you were a diver and touch on the point where, you know, you were selected to be one of the first females uh, to be a diver. And what was that experience like being the only female um, amongst 30 men, I believe, uh, doing that course and training? Yeah, really interesting because, yeah, so I had an opportunity to do the dive course. I only brushed across it just before, so thanks for bringing it up, Kay. But what it meant was I became the first female in the Australian Defence Force to get the, the Army Work Diving Qualification which in the regular army is the closest thing to a special forces capability that you can get, except not being in the special forces side of of military. And so what came with that was having to prove the physical and mental aptitude to be able to do such an arduous course Mm -hmm. and capability and, and speciality. And it was at a time, and I'm not too sure how much the audience would know, so I won't assume any knowledge, Mm. but the chief of the defense force at the time General David Morrison, came out very publicly to say, basically, if you're in the army and we open up these combat roles to females, if you don't like it, you can just get out. So it was a very direct, you know, this is the way it is now. And particularly with the rise of women in the workforce and, you know, the equality, the diversity conversation, I came through at a time when it was right place, right time, but also for me, you know, right time in my life, Mm. right person to sort of come through. So when I was finishing my specialization training through that first two and a half years in my army career, I got asked to do the dive course and my my instructor just came up to me really casually and was like, hey, we're going to put five officers on the dive course. Would you like to do it? I was like, yeah, sounds cool. He's like, so he kind of looked at me briefly like (laughs) I should have known. And he was like, you're going to be the first female to do it. I was like, okay. No worries. Like, I'll make sure I train. And <laughs> I was like, what's the requirement? So I went through this process of understanding what it was. And I had to train really hard to get to the – I mean, I'm not I'm not a big person. <laughs> you, know? you are definitely someone that cannot train for, like, two weeks and then you still smash out, like, a 5K run in, like, 22 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Like, good genetics. Because yeah. <laughs> ADD. Yeah, so I was pretty fit by that time. Mm. And I'd always played soccer. So the army made made me very strong. You know, I was able to do like 10 cadence heaves. I was pumping out 60 to 70 push-ups in two minutes as the basic tests entail. But the the army dive course was so much more physically testing mm. because it's a series of about, I think it's eight to 10 different exercises you have to do to prove you have the physical fitness 
to be able to perform diving because diving is very physically arduous. There's a lot of times in the dive course where we were diving from 7 a.m. till 1 a.m. the next morning, three dives a day, and we would do that twice a week. If we weren't doing that schedule, we'd do two dives a week, uh, two dives in the day. So it was still a very, very big task. And you're taking and shifting a lot of big equipment, cylinders, vests, like concrete blocks, big obstacles, welding equipment. You're like ferrying these things from one end of the wharf to the other. And so it's like, it's very full on. Yeah. How was like, you obviously had to learn becoming a strong swimmer, but also going underwater for long periods of time. How was your mental capacity with that? And, you know, making sure that you're focusing on your breathing and not stressing out because I know I've done snorkeling and even me, I'm like, I have to get into this zone (laughs) to go underwater and just be calm. So how was that for you? So it it certainly started my training to the lead up of the course because I was never a strong swimmer. Mm. I used to wag all the swimming carnivals at school. I love this. (laughs) I love the running carnival. So I was sweet for running. (laughs) But started there for me. And I remember the very first time I got out of a 300 meter swim because I just am the sort of person that's like, okay, it's a 300 meter swim. I'm just going to go do a 300 meter swim. Mm -hmm. And I got out of the pool and I was like, holy shit, I have a whole new like respect for swimmers because it was just so difficult. Yeah. I had to really train for that. So, yeah, the mental part of being comfortable in the water is definitely something else. Mm -hmm. There was a mentality of being in a big group. There was 20 of us that started the course, about 15 of us graduated the dive course. Mm -hmm. But it was a feeling of we're all in the same boat, Mm -hmm. mind the pun, where everyone was there out in in the middle of the ocean or having to dive 30 metres underwater. So there was almost this like herd mentality of being comfortable because everyone else is doing it. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, just... Like I learned the power of breathing then, especially because one of the aspects of the dive um, fitness regime was to be underwater for 25, 30 meters. So the breathing exercises came into it a lot. And then just certainly like bringing a calmness to the mind and being really calm under pressure Mm -hmm. taught me a lot about that. And there was even a lot of action drills that we rehearsed often. And every time before a dive, we would go through all the safety mechanisms mm-hmm. and action drills if something was to go wrong. And a lot of the time, if you either lose air in your cylinder, if you see a shark, if someone's like drowning, you know, if something, if shit's hitting the fan, you have to like calm your mind and think about the task at hand and just move through that. Mm-hmm. And I think practicing that skill set was really vital and helps with other things like being comfortable in the uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh- I guess what are the main skills that you feel like the army did teach you? Because I know that you are, you do control, you know, pretty frantic scenarios very calmly. <laughs> I guess what are those main skills that you do feel like you developed from being in the army? Yeah, oh, so many. I guess like <laughs> for me, it's a lot. There's a lot of opinions. Should you join the army? Should you not? But I guess mm. if you were coming out of high school, what would be the key things that you feel like that you developed um, from the army that you think that you probably wouldn't have got from the corporate space? Yeah, I think my recommendation on joining the Army, if if you're ever thinking about it, is if it's something you're drawn to for whatever your own motivation is, it's so worthwhile. Mm. You'd want to be joining the right area and at the right ranks, suited to your personality though as well, so take a look into that. But there was a host of things. For me, if I reflect on where I was before I joined the Army, I was getting a little bit out of control, Mm. partying a lot. I had no real direction. I had always been like a leader in my family and in my school too. So I came to this crossroads where I was like, I need to do something with my life. Mm -hmm. So the army definitely put me on the right path and it taught me how to be disciplined, a lot more structured. It taught me how to really show up in the face of adversity. Mm -hmm. And it taught me like a lot about myself that I would have never have learned before 
so many times we would go on like sleep and food deprivation exercises and, you know, the strongest characters come out in the face of those moments of adversity. Yeah. And it was just like, well, I can really do really special things because mm. of the way I'm performing under really sp- stressful environments. And until you put yourself in those experiences, you don't know where your limits are. Mm. Like, you know, we both watched Ned Brockman. That's very topical at the moment. Yeah. It's like, how on earth has he done that? And oh. it's just like the body is so incredibly capable. And I think it's really rare. There's only very few people that actually push themselves to those limits physically, mentally, and what it means to be a human capable of having a readiness in the world. And only until you go through those moments, which I experienced throughout my army career in certain contexts, Mm -hmm. do you realize how far you can push yourself. So that taught me a lot. And I honestly feel like I can approach anything in life Mm -hmm. and I feel like I can learn anything in life and I back myself to do anything I choose to do. And so that was definitely formative in my army times. Yeah. Just so you've, you know, been in the army, you're playing professional soccer and then you come out into the corporate world. So I just want to touch on uh, briefly around, I guess, those identity shifts, right? So you've you've played, you've had many careers and how have you managed, I guess, those identity shifts and moving into the corporate world now and where you are currently, I guess, being more of a technology leader? Um, how do you deal with that? Yeah, for me, I'm always reflecting on who I am and what's interesting to me. And I have lots of interests mm-hmm. and I'm a very experiential person. Like I love to do things. And then see how, you know, that performs back to myself. So those moments of understanding who my who I am and my identity mm-hmm. have been transformative in terms of different phases of my life. So whilst there's been times where they've been really transitional and nothing is ever, as you plan it out to be, nothing is ever perfect, there's always going to be moments of having lulls and downfalls and that sort of thing too. So... I've just had to just think about who I am at the core, my core values, and just use those as a bit of a shining star. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even the example of where I came out of the army and into the corporate world, I had I struggled because I was pretty underwhelmed with the leadership acumen in the corporate world coming from such strong leadership, team ethos, mission-driven environments. Time is critical. Time is critical. <laughs> no one's on time in the corporate world. I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. I was having this conversation last night at a work event. I'm like, like no one is on time. Like, yeah. It's just a free market. Well, it's like your mindset and everything you do is very, like from the army, I believe, is like you have a mission and how do we get there quickest? And I think in the corporate world, it's very like you have to play the political game very much and it's very, you can't talk direct to people. You have to kind of, you know, make sure that you're doing, <laughs> the yeah. tone is coming across <laughs> right, which is what you need to do in life. But in the army, it is it is awesome to have that mindset just to, to get it done as quick as possible as well. Yeah, it's great. And something that I struggle with in the corporate world still, like the criticism I always get, constructive criticism I always get. Yeah. It's just like, make sure you're not too direct in certain contexts. It's like, oh, well, yeah. at least I'm not an asshole most of the time. <laughs> totally. Well, so I wanted to shift gears. So I know you wrote an article on the future, um, on the future is defined by the convergence of information, technology and biology. Would you be able to elaborate on that and how you think this is going to shape humanity in the future? Yeah, great question, Kay. Thanks for bringing that up. (laughs) Very futuristic in my strengths Mm -hmm. identified and very futuristic in my interest areas. So realize that whether it's being altruistic in the way that's very anchored for me being humanitarian, Mm -hmm. I'm more interested in the way technology is really shaping the world and the future of humanity. And so that blog I wrote was basically the convergence of tech, information and biology, which talks to a transhumanism era. 
and this might go pretty deep and wide Let's here. Let's go deep. Let's go. <laughs> but it's fundamentally about the exponential nature of the times we're living through right now because of technology. And if I explain it in the most simplest way, I'll attempt to explain mm -hmm. this theory here, but since the Industrial Revolution in the 1950s, the whole world has been on a path of acceleration, mm -hmm. basically because computing power has doubled every second year. So it means over the course of, what, 70 years now, mm -hmm. you just get this really exponential effect. And it's a big hockey stick. And that's really hard for people to grasp in general. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's why we live in a bit of a state of confusion at the moment. Information's accessible to us at the touch of, a, of an iPhone, smartphone. Yeah. And there's a lot happening geopolitically at the moment with the war in Ukraine. There's a lot happening with power struggles between rising dominant national powers versus declining ones, mm -hmm. even on a local environment level. You know, we're just like figuring it out, You're like what career to do. Everyone's shifted to hybrid work. It's like a massive confusion using the digital world to form economic means. Mm -hmm. There's like so, there's a host of things that are happening at the moment, which is talking to basically this big convergence of three main areas, which I spoke to mm -hmm. being tech info and biology. So the transhuman era... The transhumanism era, excuse me, basically talks to all those things, which is just like, what's on the next frontier for humanity? Yeah. There's a really nice quote to summarize all of this, which talks to the fact that we have paleolith paleolithic biology or mindsets, mm -hmm. we have medieval institutions, and we have godlike technologies. So the biggest thing right now is that our intellectual capabilities are just like not keeping up with the pace of technological advancement. Mm -hmm. And that's why. We're very confused yeah. or there's a host of mental health issues or there's like inequality or there's misinformation. It's mm -hmm. because we're struggling to actually thrive in a technological world. So I believe the future is defined by that convergence and it's up to a pretty special group of people to figure out how to help amplify that and help us all live harmoniously within that next frontier and phase of where we're going as a species. Oh, it's so interesting and, you know, I keep reflecting on even when, you know, back 10 years ago when Instagram or Facebook came out and, you know, I was using all this technology and your parents just had like no idea what was going on. And now there is already that next wave of like AI and how you like can simplify all these systems by like being a solid entrepreneur, you yeah. know, by making millions by just using all these different tools. Um, it's just really interesting where the world is going to at the moment. Um I guess building on upon that, I guess your interest within technology, right, you've now started a side hustle, you could say, um, called Dark Mode. So I guess what is Dark Mode and what inspired you to get started with that? Yeah, Dark Mode at the moment is a podcast. It's a community first brand that we're building over time. We've been in production for about four or five months now and it's going really well. Mm -hmm. We have notched up a few thousand cross-platform listeners and we're just about to bring on a marketing leader to help us go to that next phase. And we're starting to build it, build out an ecosystem of partnerships as well. So we want to get it to a more of a business model where it's doing a host of things to help people thrive in the tech world. Mm -hmm. And so a bit of the tagline for dark mode is about technology, cybersecurity, and universal megatrends mm -hmm. impacting the future of humanity, similar to what we just spoke about, yeah. and just bringing an awareness to people. We've started 
the first series on cybersecurity because that's the domain I'm working in at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I find cyber very interesting. It's topical. People will hear about all the ransomware and the hacks and the breaches and the news. It's happening like every second day at the moment. How we safeguard ourselves and protect ourselves in the digital realm. And again, how to thrive in that hybrid fashion now. Real world is both physical and digital. Yeah. And so dark mode has been great. It's something that is a creative outlet for me and the co-host Ben, mm -hmm. soon to be Anna as well. I know you've been involved a little bit yeah. too, Kay, and we've um, <laughs> learned so much in that time. But yeah, the, certainly the next phase for dark mode is to just bring a lot more value to people around those tech trends and really just forecasting predictions and bring in elements of transhumanism, helping people understand even exponential effects, Yeah, you know, understanding how to live a healthy digital life in social media and regain focus, how to upgrade their mindsets. And, you know, even just like life hacks, which I know that we're both pretty passionate about as it relates to getting good sleep. You could say biohacking, yeah. but at the fundamental level, it's sleeping well, yep. not consuming alcohol, reading, you know, doing things that help with creative outlets, having more play introduced to life, mm -hmm. just regaining what it means to be a human again, yeah. and then moving into how do we thrive in what's ahead of us in the next 10 years. In 10 years from now, how are we going to, what's the world going to look like? It's going to be completely transformed. Yeah. I've just written a note here because you mentioned healthy digital life. And man, that's just something I reflect on all the time right now because there's part of me that is like, all I want to do is run away, live on a farm and do my own produce and like not have any tech. And then the other side of it is that I need to learn to work with tech in the in the future because otherwise I am going to get left behind. And it is a very hard contrast because we are human at the core of it. And ultimately, like with 5G and vibrations and all this stuff, we actually like there is that part that it can be negative to our biology, but then the other part of it, you know, with the whoops and the aura rings, we can actually help our health um, advance in life as well. So it is having um, that medium balance and learning how to work with technology for the future. Definitely. Yeah. And at the crux of it, Kay, is we can see technology as one of two things. We can see it as a catastrophic threat to humanity, mm -hmm. or we can see it as an unprecedented opportunity for the future. Mm -hmm. It's our choice to shape it which way. Yeah, No one else is creating technology except us. Mm -hmm. yeah. We shape our tools and our tools shape us. So we've got to really look really hard. We've got to find leaders. We've got to find communities of people that can think very critically about how we're building technology and especially as it relates to AI, mm -hmm. given the ethical dilemmas and the fact that there could be a singularity, there could be a, an alternative intelligence that becomes smarter than us. Mm -hmm. That's a reality. But it's like, how do we actually shape and build that technology mm -hmm. for it to be an unprecedented opportunity yeah. as opposed to an existential threat? Mm -hmm. So that's probably the area I'm most interested in at the moment. Yeah. There's a lot of really incredible thinkers as a future of Humanity Institute based out of the US. Surprisingly, there's a lot of Aussies as well mm -hmm. shaping this in this argument, which is very inspiring for me. But yeah, it's um certainly topical and would love to invite all of your listeners yeah. to uh, send me a few recommendations yeah. on what they find interesting And also just it. head over to dark mode because this Come is on where over. Gabe talks yeah. about all this <laughs> yeah. in much yeah. more depth. Yeah. Um, I guess what's some technology that you're really excited about that's kind of popping up right now that is going to shape um, our future? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're in the midst of cloud computing right now. So no longer and, you know, potentially your younger listeners would have no idea what the old world used to be like when you literally had IBM created like a full room of a mainframe. And it was literally on premise hardware mm -hmm. of stacks and stacks of computer chips and all sorts of stuff, right? Connecting to having internet connectivity and then the rise of the internet and 
just like the next generation yeah. of connectivity. Of course, we're in the fifth generation now, which is yep. 5G. And so cloud computing right now is very ubiquitous. And that is, of course, you can connect through your smartphone onto your social media apps. A lot of big enterprises are moving into the cloud, so they're not having to host their own on-premise hardware anymore. Yeah. It's a big shift that we're living in at the moment, and that's accelerating at a crazy pace. Um, but I'm more excited about things like quantum computing, mm -hmm. which is just like a whole other realm of even just redefining what physics is. Lots of unknowns that we don't have any idea yeah. about. It's like it's surprising once you rabbit hole things and get under the covers that there's so many things that people – like we just don't know about. Yeah. So we need a lot of good minds figuring that out. And then even just like – what else? I mean, AI is well, AI is the big one. Yeah, yeah, what we were just touching on uh, a few days ago after I watched the My First Million podcast, but around those AI trends that are coming out, like one with the Joe Rogan, yeah. like they just took all that voice audio and then made two podcasts of Joe Rogan and Steve Jobs. Yeah, doing a podcast. Yeah, and it was just like AI, and the the conversation they had was incredible. Yeah, but also other ones where now all the music, like what's going to happen with the music industry that AI is now creating just like random songs and then basically you could purchase that with an NFT, then own that song. And then if that song's really popular, then, you know, you could make money that way. And then the other one, you know, I start, I reflect on and think, oh, how can AI actually take people's jobs away? And then, you know, they were mentioning you could just send a picture of this room and say, hey, I want it to feel like this. And then basically it populates what the room should be. And then it automatically gives you where you can buy all this furniture from. Yeah. And, you know, there's areas of that that already offers things like that, yeah. but it's very exciting. Totally. And as a futurist myself, I think, like, that can sound really daunting to people. The whole, like, holy shit, AI is going to take my jobs, Yeah, which is reality mm -hmm. because that's happened time and time again with industrial revolutions, scientific revolutions. If you're any, if you're any, if you are in any data intensive role, whether it's accounting, operations, all of those things will become automated mm -hmm. by technology mm -hmm. that already started to. I read a quote in the book that I'm reading, Kay, last night where the quote was, the goal of the future is to automate everything so that we can play. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. Because if you think about it, if you transform the way that every single thing is done in the world right now, which is very output driven, stems from the production lines. Mm -hmm. It's all about economic means. Mm -hmm. If you were to if you were to completely rethink even capitalism, you know, if the freedom of independence and everyone creating money for themselves and that sort of thing, if you were to completely rethink the way every single thing is done, mm -hmm. and particularly given the fact that automation and technology is so prevalent in this era of our lives, what would we actually do? We were having this, like, I was like, <laughs> we'd probably go back to like sopping fruits and vegetables, yeah. like, and we would just be like... <laughs> I think we would be rediscovering ourselves on a whole new level, but yeah. it would just be going back to the ancient times, I I believe so. But then I'm like, what's AI creating? Like these flying cars and, you know, what do they look like, right? Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. It's super interesting. Um, cool. Well, shifting on to another topic I'd love to pick your brain on, because I know you're super interested in this as well, but I know we discuss this a lot and the topic of effective altruism. So... I would love you to explain to the audience what that is. I know you're going down a rabbit hole of like even what does my future look like? How can, you know, I give back and what does that look like? And I guess, you know, what does that look like and potentially what you're trying to achieve, what the potential is in 10 years' time? Yeah, I love it. Effective altruism sounds like lots of syllables and big words potentially people have never heard of before, <laughs> yeah. so let me explain. <laughs> altruism is where 
morally you believe in a greater good other than yourself. Sometimes it's described more as selflessness. So you almost have this self-sacrificing element of giving back to people. But it's more about believing in that greater good and how can you affect positive change in the world and in your life all around you. Effective altruism is basically like how can you do that the most effective way using rationality and logic and measuring how you put your time, resources and energy towards creating a good outcomes. Mm-hmm. So this is a very big moral and ethical philosophy happening at the moment. It's been championed by Peter Singer, who again is an Aussie. He's um, a lecturer at some of the big universities, both in the US and, and from Melbourne, but I think he's doing more so overseas now. And some people might be familiar with Peter Singer. I came across his book and he was really championing that. So he's he has debates about like, you know, animals being off the menu. We sat down for two hours on a Sunday, watched the debate, took notes and spoke about That's it. That's what how weekends look like. <laughs> yeah. Making me listen to podcasts and taking notes and then, you know, going on. Like it, even when you discovered effective altruism for like a month there, basically she was going to donate all her whole wage to it would live off I don't know what. Charities. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. But yeah. like effective altruism is also not just about like donating all your money or. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah. So it's basically like if myself as Gabe, as a high earning individual in technology with pretty good energy, mm-hmm. well, with high energy, pretty good intellectual capability with a network of people I can tap into and all the skills that I have. If I chose to do something mm-hmm. to improve or solve the world's biggest problems, what could I do right now? Mm-hmm. And it's about having some data points and some reason behind what you choose to do. Mm-hmm. So examples of effective altruism really simply are like donating to charities. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, sometimes you don't get the most economic output from charities because of the cost of doing business or, you know, the processing cost of donating the money and whatever else. So there's a few really good brands spinning up that measure that, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. But yeah, effective altruism is definitely something that anchors me in terms of solving the world's biggest problems. Those, that quote you mentioned at the start, Kay, and how I choose to tackle something that I believe is big enough and audacious enough for me to make positive change in the world. And I'm certainly at another crossroads in my life to figure out what that is because if I think about so if I think about effective altruism as the banner, and then I think about, okay, well, what are the world's biggest problems? Mm-hmm. I could probably name about six that need immediate attention. Poverty, mm-hmm. of course, is one. Economic inequality mm-hmm. around the world, which links to poverty. There's structural reforms required of education and healthcare. Mm-hmm. There's genocide wars, mass murder, violence. And then there's technological frontiers like unethical use of AI and that sort of thing. And there's probably one or two others there where you can list them out. So for me, I've got to figure out which one to tackle, build a community around and, you know, keep having these conversations like we are today to to work it out. Yeah, no, it's super interesting. I guess from obviously being my partner, (laughs) I know that you have, I just want to touch on like the personal development aspect of it as well of you being a human being and you touched on the alcohol and I guess the biohacking and things like that. But I do know that words and communication are very important to you and also the belief systems and the thoughts that you have. Basically, the thoughts that you have are the feelings and then that basically creates an action and then your result. And so when did you start to mindfully pay attention to your thoughts and your beliefs to shape who you are? When did that start? When did that start? I haven't actually asked you when did that start? <laughs> it it would have started when I stumbled upon the quote from Nikolai Tesla. Mm-hmm. And I believe that was towards the end of my army career. So it would have been 
seven years ago now, mm. thereabouts, well, probably less than that, five, five to six years ago when I first stumbled upon it. Mm-hmm. And the Nikolai Tesla. So Nikolai Tesla is basically the genius. I think back in there, <coughs> excuse me, Nikolai Tesla is basically like the genius that underpinned like finding electricity and like, you know, he was sort of the understudy of a lot of the big greats and Elon Musk, of course, called Tesla after him. So mm-hmm. his quote is, to know the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, vibrations and frequency. Mm-hmm. We throw out a lot of quotes in this Yeah, podcast. I love it. Yeah. So that's really interesting to me because then I think, okay, well, what is energy? Like what are... And, you know, when people, when you, and like a lot of people would resonate with, when you meet someone, you can feel their vibe. Yeah. It's like good vibes only. So for me, when I, again, just went into another rabbit hole, mm-hmm. like, what is that? I realized very quickly that your thoughts are everything. Mm-hmm. And then I read Think and Grow Rich. I understood the power of language, rhetoric. You know, I saw that diagram I've explained to you a few times, Kay, where if you pour water into a plant mm-hmm. and you speak to the plant, yep. you know, your words actually have a scientific grounding of having different waves, waveforms and vibrations into the water. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, wow, that's really interesting. So kind of like a bit of pseudoscience looking at things that might not yet be defined, which a lot of things aren't, by the way, as we yeah. spoke about before. And so I realized that, okay, if there's one thing that I can control, it's certainly the power of my mind. Mm-hmm. And look, as an athlete, I was pretty good, but like I definitely wasn't disciplined enough. I didn't control my mindset enough. I could get frustrated on the field pretty quickly. And I also was like drinking a lot of alcohol, Mm. so I wasn't recovering well. And I just like did it all pretty wrong. Like Mm -hmm. if I had have transformed all of that, I'm sure I would have been a better athlete and I'm sure I would have been a better person too. So then I realized, okay, well, if there's one thing I can control, it's the self-talk, it's the self-belief. And the way I can do that is through affirmations Mm -hmm. and the power of thought. And so... It's really interesting if you bring an awareness as to like those little micro habits in the day or actions, like what's the immediate self-talk that you find in your subconscious mind? Mm -hmm. And that's just like a whole other frontier of like what's under the covers there. Yeah. So yeah, I'm very, very particular about the words people use. Mm -hmm. I've banned using hate or weasel words, all those sort of (laughs) things, loser language in the household, which sometimes it's difficult to be around me because I'm like, double question, or like, don't say that word. Because you bring, you actually put power into something the certain way you describe it. So I would encourage anyone to just like talk positive language, talk powerful, self-fulfilling language for a week and just see how that transforms Mm -hmm. your feelings and things like that. Um, Would you remember your affirmations off the top of your head that you do every day? Yeah. Would you like to go ahead and say your affirmation? You want me to say the full thing? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So this this is a self-confidence formula. It's born out of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, but it's basically where you stand in the mirror and you think about the person you intend to become and things like that. So um, the affirmation is, I know I have the ability to achieve my definite purpose in life, therefore I demand of myself persistent continuous action towards its attainment, and I here and now promise to render such action I fully realise the dominating thoughts in my mind will eventually reproduce themselves into outward physical action and gradually transform themselves into physical reality. Therefore, I will concentrate my thoughts for 30 minutes daily upon the task of thinking of the person I intend to become, thereby creating in my mind a clear mental picture of that person, and so on and so on and so on. I'm not going to do the whole thing. Okay? <laughs> I so love can, it. Can, uh, we can put it on your website. Well, it goes to show, I just wanted to prove to the audience, like, 
a lot of people have affirmations and it's like, you know, of course you started with the piece of paper. I seen you, you know, have it up there and you read it every day, but it should be that drilled into your head. And almost when you start to have these like negative thoughts each day, I know like that's playing in the back of your head, right? And it's rewiring your beliefs. Yeah. Um, and that's neuroplasticity, right? Exactly. And yeah. yeah, well, the neuroplasticity was another big concept I came across thanks to a good friend of mine, Shani, way back in the day. Mm. And I was like, holy crap, if you could actually... So neuroplasticity, neurobrain, mm -hmm. plasticity, plastic, change things. If you can rewire your brain, mm -hmm. there's so much power in that. Yeah. So that's where the affirmation stemmed from, all of this concept stemmed from. And I just think like your thoughts create your actions, which create your habits, which create your behaviours and your personality, and then that creates your reality. So it's yeah. just like control your thoughts, yeah. create the life you want. It's seems simple to me, but... So it's it's funny because, like, of course, uh, my sister, Ebony, lives with us and I live with Gabe, of course, for the past four years. And it definitely is, like, I am consciously practising and rewiring my thoughts and my language each day. And, you know, this is something that we're discussing right now. It, it can be very easy to fall back into old habits, but it is really about, like, eliminating those. And, you know, every... it's having a partner like we do and you pulling me up on like that's a double question or don't use that word because you need someone there or you know if you are by yourself it's like tapping yourself every time you recall a bad you know weasel word that you are using so it is really important to be conscious and I think you know we're learning a lot about uh, the unconscious uh things that you're doing in your life right now. And it's actually like for me around food, it's like, am I just unconsciously eating right now or am I sitting down chewing each bite? And so it's really important to, you know, whatever practice that you're trying to improve on in life is being really conscious in that moment to make those habit changes as well. Yeah. And it can sound a little high level when you first stumble upon it. But my theory is that People upgrading their thoughts and their belief system is the single most effective way to improve the world yep. right now. And particularly given the track we just spoke about around technology, mm -hmm. which is it's accelerating and it's becoming a lot more superior than our own capabilities at this rate of change. Mm -hmm. So we've got to work that out. Mm -hmm. But if we can upgrade our mindsets, if we can have more self-belief, we can have confidence and have those social interactions with people, if we can create and energy in the world where we're all thinking positive thoughts because, again, Tesla says the secrets of the universe are energy, vibrations, and frequency, which stems from the way we think, mm -hmm. and therefore the global consciousness, we would have a far better improved world. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, well, if I don't pick up the rubbish, it's not going to make an effect on the world. But it's like if everyone did that, we wouldn't have pollution. Yeah. Of course, we'd have a few systematic and structural things to upgrade. But if everyone was to think positive, especially about each other, but starts with thinking about yourself, mm -hmm. we would have a far better environment socially. Mm. Love it. Well, Gabe, to wrap up the episode with one last question, I'd love to ask you, what is something that scares you if you don't make a change on something within the next week that you feel could be harming you reaching your full potential in, the, in this phase of life? That's a great question. Mm. You're going to ask everyone that? Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So in the next week, if I don't make a change around being more disciplined with exercise, mm -hmm. I know long term that's going to be detrimental. Mm -hmm. And I would say as well, finding that breakthrough moment that's going to help me really acceler accelerate the business I'm building in dark mode mm -hmm. and how to communicate at scale around all these things we've spoken about. Mm -hmm. And of course, what comes with that is building an ecosystem of people, partners 
team members, community members to help us amplify this message. Mm-hmm. So two-faceted, classic, I've got two answers for the one question, but yeah. maybe both of those things. For sure. And <laughs> I guess my question for that is to hope to inspire people to really think about taking action on something now. And of course, things always take time. But even with this podcast, right, I was content, always telling myself I'm going to start a podcast, but it's that factor of like, okay, I'm just going to get going. And, you know, practice makes progress. And that's really what I'm trying to live my life by moving forward, because like perfection is just like this, like it's it's not reality. So it's really important um, just to keep going one step at a time. But if you can really think about in the next week, if I just got started, where you could be in 10 years from now, it actually is really exciting. And I feel like that's motivational enough to get started. Absolutely. And you're a great podcast host, Kay. Oh, so thank you. Fun. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of your guests are going to get a lot out of it. So yeah, it's really inspiring also and feel very proud of you for launching this as a recovering perfectionist myself. I know sometimes it can be a little crippling, but yeah, this is amazing. It's nice to be in a studio with you. Your listeners are going to get so much out of all the stories and the people that you get on, but also to listen to you is always amazing. So it's really awesome to see. Thanks, Gabe. I appreciate the kind words. And I'm sure my audience will look forward um, to having Gabe Mazzano back on quite regularly. Um, So whenever you want her on, just let us know and we can get her straight back on. Give the fans what they want, Kay. (laughs) (laughs) As I pretty much organise your schedule anyways. (laughs) You let me know. I'm always here for you. Yeah. Thanks, Gabe. Awesome. Thanks, Kay. How good.